Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'd like to introduce you to Tom Manning and a marketing event that he's going to be offering here in Cincinnati this spring. This is Mike Roth with Tom Manning. We're talking about your marketing and sales boot camp that you're going to be running in April and May. And the name of the program is? It's called Engage 2013. Engage 2013. And you're going to be running it in Columbus and in Cincinnati. Correct. It's going to be Tuesday mornings for six weeks in Columbus and Wednesday mornings for six weeks in Cincinnati. Okay. And if a company sends their CEO, the CEO comes and he's bringing a chief marketing officer, what would they be getting by attending your program? Well, the first thing we try to do is we try to get the company to develop a story, figure out what their key messages are, what the value proposition is, and come up with their company's story. From that, we can actually look at all your marketing materials to be sure they're telling the same story. All your marketing and sales materials. So does your website match your brochures, match your email campaign, and all of your branding? Does it tell the same message? Okay. Does it really have to match? It really does because what it does is it creates a consistency in the eyes of the end customer or the end user of your products and services. If you're well, talking about user or prospect here. Well, it depends what your industry is. If you're B2C, it's going to be your customers mm-hmm. and it's going to be what your customer sees with your company. Right. If you have different messages, you're actually causing customer confusion. If you're B2B, it's going to be you and the other businesses and you're going to be trying to capture market share. And so are you consistent as to what your message is and how you define yourself in the marketplace? Mm -hmm. And why should someone attend? So what we'll do is we're going to, over the course of six weeks, we're going to help you um, define your your key messages and your company's story. And then from that, we're going to help you develop a marketing strategy and a sales strategy and perhaps a social media strategy that helps coordinate all of that. So people will be consistent at the end. Correct. We're going to actually look at everything from your logo and your corporate identity. Does it match that key messages? Your website, are the messages on your website consistent? Your brochure, your sales presentations, your PowerPoint presentations, your proposal system, your email campaign, your trade show. And naturally, your selling system. And, of course, your selling system as well. Tom, if someone is interested in finding out more, either speaking to you or speaking to you personally, how should they do that? There's two ways. One, you could go to marketleaders.us. Um, that's the website for Engage 2013. You can learn all about the sessions there and the speakers and the time frame and, and uh, registration. Or you can call me directly if you have any questions that aren't answered there. And you can reach me at 
622-1047. Thanks, Tom. In future weeks, we'll be hearing more from Tom about the Engaged Marketing and Sales 2013. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Dave Bellow. Say hi, Dave. Hi, Mike. And we're going to be talking about how to handle stalls and objections from a Sandler perspective. The opinions expressed on this show are purely those of Dave and myself, and using them without proper Sandler training behind them may result in problems. You can contact me at 513-753-9400 to talk about Sandler training. Today we're going to be talking about a little bit about how Dave got here and what what, what are you doing now, Dave? You're one of the longest-standing Sandler trained people in Cincinnati market, aren't you? You really think so, Mike? Uh, I'm st- still active in business. Yeah, been training for how long? I, I started in, as a Sandler client as a, in the Presidents Club back in 1988 in L.A. You and I met in in L.A. probably in '83, '84 when I was in the payphone business. Right, and then uh, prior to me being in the payphone business, um, in '76 I started tra- Sandler, mm-hmm. and. Uh, kept up it through some of your president's classes, but uh, it's amazing there aren't more Sandler-trained people in the Cincinnati market. Than right, people. right. Uh, I guess Bruce Cook, who was the uh, train heating and air conditioning franchisee in Cincinnati, hired Dave Sandler in about 1975. There you go. And him and his people got trained. He and his people got trained. And today... Some of those programs that Dave Sandler did in the mid-70s for train have been saved. We call them the Lost Sandler Tapes, and they are in a two-day, I think it's a two-CD DVD set, just audio, of what David taught the train people in a two-day seminar. You know what's really amazing about that, Mike? The same principles, the absolute same principles, from 1980s to to where we are today in the new millennium, the 2000, 2012 era of sales, really just applied a little different, holds so true today, if not more so. It's, it shows how enduring good principles always stand the test of time. Yes, they stand the test of time. They still work. Uh, does it work 100% of the time? No, but what does? But you increase your odds with good training. Mm-hmm. And that's all it is with Sandler, as far as I'm concerned. It gives you more tools in your toolkits to be more effective in the field with a much more sophisticated buyer than we've ever encountered before. Right. So if you're experiencing stalls and objections mm-hmm. that you'd like Dave or I to talk about here today, you'll need to call in at 646-595-4916. We will be taking your calls during the commercial break and putting them into the uh, second or third segment of the show as as we co- we roll along. Dave, why don't you tell the folks uh, a little bit about you. I know you sold your company, Throne Lighting, uh, was about two years ago now? About a year and three quarters. We started it literally from scratch, um, making one little concept of converting incandescent to fluorescent, Fast forward 32 years later, um, we got acquired by one of the premier lighting companies 
in the country, privately held residential lighting companies called Kitchener Lighting. And uh, it was a very interesting transaction. They were totally residential. We were commercial. They bought our company for the platform into the commercial in- industry, and they're doing very well uh, with what they purchased. And I'm glad to see that. Mm-hmm. Really glad to see it. But it was interesting because, you know, what happens in lighting, Mike, happens, it's, it's sort of unique, but not unique to many products. How many times do you think people change their light fixtures? How many times have you changed it in your house, Mike? First year we did a couple. Uh, Sales cycle, Mike. Sales cycle. Since then, one repair, zero replacements. Our sales cycle was 7 to 12 years. Mm -hmm. So if we're not selling every single day and competing against everybody in the world selling lighting and getting jobs, the worst feeling in the world, Mike, the absolute worst feel, and anyone in manufacturing or anybody in distribution you appreciate that is walking through your manufacturing facility or walking through your distribution facility with no work <laughs> that's a very very scary scary situation so henceforth Sandler really paid dividends well that's good that's good is that your cell phone Dave I told you to turn it off okay uh those Apple iPhones without being able to take out the battery. My apologies. Okay. If no one is listening, we'll be able to take that out and no one will know. Uh, maybe it was a live calling. Right? They would have come on over oh, here okay. on, the, on the screen. Okay. Okay. Um, and since you're not involved on a day-to-day basis in that company, you started your own new business? Well, I still have. Uh, I still am involved in a consulting role inside the company and perform some uh, sales functions for the company still. Um, yes, I've started another business called Choice Funding. And what we specialize is, is turning revenue, immediate revenue, into your accounts receivable. It's commonly called factoring. We we say accounts receivable financing. Um, it's one of the true unlocked treasures in today's marketplaces with the way the banks are that you can really tap into immediate cash flow for buying right, taking cash discounts, payroll, taxes, whatever. It's the easiest asset to convert, and most people overlook at it. Overlook it. So you're converting invoices into cash. Exactly. Okay, and you and you have a minimum of how many dollars? We stick into the manuf- we stick to the manufacturing industry and and it's not so much the minimum. We look at the quality of the client and who who their debtor is, and we sort of do custom solutions for each individual company. So we don't want to, just like we don't we don't have restricted covenants like regular financial institutions. We don't have rigid rules. We look at everything very individualistic for each company and tailor a program that meets their needs and satisfies our objectives at the same time. So we try to make it a win win. So if someone wants to contact you about your financing of invoices for a manufacturer, if they are a manufacturer. How would they do that, Dave? 513-454-3344, or you can go to choice-fund.com. Choice-fund.com. F-U-N-D. Okay. Uh, Let me tell 
tell folks who is going to be on next week. Uh, on Thursday, we're going to have uh, Trent McCracken from eHealth Solutions. They have a, I'm going to call it a medical transcription system for doctors so that they can hands-free describe what's happening on a patient procedure like a, an endoscopic procedure which requires both hands and their uh, device automatically records what what's happening in the procedure so that it can be later, later turned into a patient record uh, on the computer. Uh, on Friday, we're going to have Phil Wiseman, a uh, another long-term President's Club member. Uh, the following week, on September 13th, we're going to have Kelly Mahan from Mahan 8, uh, agents, advertising agency. And then uh, that Friday, we're going to have Frank Wood, who's going to talk about his new program in stress reduction. Uh, then we're going to have Bill McGrain, who's going to be talking about c- communications with people and how to deal with difficult people. Uh, we got a lot more guests beyond that. We got some really special guests uh, later in the month, uh, which will, will prove extremely interesting. Uh, Dave, let's uh, let's go into the, the the most common objection, and I know we won't finish it before we take the first break. Uh, but the first, most common objection that salespeople tell me that they hear is, I want to get over. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that in the lighting industry over these last 32 years? I want to think it over. Uh, you know, what's the part you're going to think the longest and the strongest about? Then that should be a response. Uh, gee, that's interesting. And you know what? I can appreciate the fact that you may want to think it over. But in order to help you think it over, allow me to give you some more data. So be specific about what you're going to think about. Because I want to think it over is like a no. And most people will not want to say no immediately. So when they say, I want to think it over, Mike, to me, it means also from the Sandler system, that they didn't do their front talk, they didn't do the pre-qualification, because I want to think it over should never occur at the time of closing if the proper procedures are followed. I agree with you. They should be saying no versus I want to think it over. Right. Because we have a couple of Sandler rules that cover that. What's the main Sandler rule that covers Number one. Well, it's not number one, but, you know, I, I would consider rule zero the most important rule Sales is no place to go to the, uh, to get your needs met. Only a place to go to the bank. And then, nurture, nurture. Sales is a Broadway play performed by a psychiatrist. And in dealing with this extremely common objection, I think it kills most salespeople. I want to think it over. How, how many times, in your experience, Mike? And is there statistics on it that that I want to think it over gets converted into sales? I mean, what do you think the percentages are versus no? You know, Dave, I'd really like to tell you that it's a zero. Unfortunately, I know that's not true. I know that there are prospects who are high C's. They're uh, conformant to rules. They take time in making decisions. They're highly analytical. They may not have all the facts. 
And in fact, you may take people who are not high C's, but pushed into areas to make a decision on something they don't understand enough about, they may want to push back to get time to gather more facts. The uh, There are a certain percentage of people, and it might be 5%, it might be 10%, that really do need more time. Um, and speaking of time, we're going to take our first break here, so if you do have a question, you can call in, and when we come back, Dave and I will continue to talk about how to deal with I want to think it over. Why do some business owners make lots of money while others endure years of mediocrity? Is it really the economy, the market, the weather, the competition? No. These are all called excuses which are always plentiful. Hi, I'm Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. As a business owner or part of a team, Are you accepting excuses from your sales team because you make them yourself? Business winners succeed in spite of this trash. Business winners invest in themselves and their people. For over 15 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing your sales, call me at 513-646-6523. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. To find out how Sandler training can make you better, faster, and stronger, company owners and sales managers, are you sick and tired of hiring a salesperson you think is Tom Cruise only to get Pee Wee Herman on the first day of the job? Call me, Mike Roth, 513-646-6523, to stop this from happening to you again. Company owners and sales managers, are you tired of cutting your price to get the deal? Wouldn't you like to have a better way? Wouldn't you want to improve your margins? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 to see if there's a better way for you. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Dave Bellows. We were talking about I want to think it over. And I think uh, the first way we should look at that is uh, are you in a simple sale, commodity-type sale, or is it a complex, long-lead-time sale? You know, complex financial sale, complex machinery sale, uh, on the first call, it may not be appropriate to to ask for the order because they'll need more information. In my opinion, the Sandler upfront contract holds more water in those type of sales. But if the guy's buying paper clips and it's a fifty dollar sale, what's he going to think? What's he going to think it over? You know, he's going to keep to the same supplier. So you're better off going on to the next pro- prospect than keeping that ball up in the air. So let's let's go over what the upfront contract would, would, would say. At the beginning of the call, uh you might say uh to the to the prospect, you know, there are three possible outcomes in today's meeting. Is it okay if I tell you what they are, Dave? Yeah, I I'd like to know. The first one is at the end of the meeting, based on your answers to my questions, uh you're gonna feel uh, I'm gonna feel based on your answers that you're not the right type of client for us. Is it okay if I tell you no? Yes. It won't work? Yes. Good. Now, if my answers to your questions indicate to you that I'm not going to be a good vendor for you, what are you going to tell me then at the end of the meeting? I'm going to suggest that maybe it's not a good fit. Why don't you just say a two-letter word that begins? No. Good. That's the right word. So if there's no fit or match 
on your side, you're going to say no. And on my side, I should tell you yes or no. No, no. If I don't think I can help you, then you got be, then you got to tell me no. Good, because you got to be honest with you one got, another. You got to be honest. You so know, that that's the first possible outcome. You know, another way to do it too, because is to say, look, when I when we finish explaining our service to you, there's only one thing I'm going to ask from you today. Now, again, take in mind, depends on what type of product or service you're presenting. But if it's a low-end ticket sale to a to, to just before the medium ticket sale, you can ask your prospect very nicely if you like what I have and you think if it will benefit my business. The only thing I'm going to ask you today is that if you like it, you buy it. And if you don't, that's fine too. And that's what we're, one and, way to and, do. And, and, and you can, it, there's no one way, but if you get that upfront commitment, it saves a lot of anguish down the road. Mark. Right, right. So, so we, we, we dealt first with the no, mutual no, second possible outcome, if there is a fitter match. Mm-hmm. Based on your answers to my questions, I feel that you would be a good client for our product and could probably use it. Mm-hmm. And if, based on my answers to your questions, you believe that what we have is a perfect fit for you, what's going to happen then? The the client should agree to go ahead and, so, and say yes, that it's a good fit. That's the discovery. The prospect must discover. So, Dave, is it okay if I tell you the only outcome that can't happen here today? Absolutely. That's where you say something like, I want to think it over. Can I tell you why that won't work? Absolutely. Our research has shown 98% but of see, the time. But you, you have to have that technique, whether he says yes or no, but how how much time is lost by not stating up front, look, if you like what I have or if it's not a good fit, it can go either way. Just simply tell me yes or no, because the last thing in today's, you know, time is so critical today. People are so busy. The last thing they want to do is take your follow-up calls, and and, and they're just going to say no. Wouldn't you rather know ahead of time? So you can move on to the next prospect, because you can't sell 100% of the people 100% of the time. So we can tell them. The only thing you can't say at the end of the meeting is, I want to think it over. Now, if you're not convinced... You need more technical data. You're in a more technical sale. It's a longer-term project. Maybe even it's demand creation. Instead of a yes, what it might mean is that we have to schedule a second meeting before we even go any further in this meeting. And, Mike, that probably is just like closing the deal. Because if, in fact, he's willing to schedule the next meeting at the time when you present that what he's done is given you permission to to take up time again in his office, in his space, and saying, I'm interested, but I need more information, and that's valid. If he says, no, I don't think it, a, a new meeting is necessary, what, what, what is that, what's the end result of that? If we're asking for that second second meeting inside the first five minutes, and your prospect refuses to give it to you, you know you're going to get a no at the end because you you failed in bonding and rapport, or this guy is just bringing you in so he can get a second or a third third bid. Uh, why waste the time? Yeah, but the guy really liked me, Mike. 
I know everyone likes you. I, I mean, I mean, so you know, henceforth no sale, but he really liked me. Yeah, well, we don't, we, we can't take that to the bank. Sales is no place to get your well, needs met. Well, I thought, met. I thought maybe only a place to go to the bank. Maybe some people get paid to be professional visitors instead well, of professional salespeople. Well, most CEOs wouldn't want to have professional visitors in, their, in their organization. Of course, there are some financial institutions that pay literally hundreds of people to be professional visitors. I don't want to use any names. Uh, and that's why training is really important. So you're not a professional visitor and walk out of the office, boy, I had a real good sales call. Well, did he buy anything? No, but he really liked me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have to have a definite next step. And I want to think it over doesn't work. Uh, many years ago when I was selling in L.A. to the folks at the William Morris Agency in Beverly Hills, the, the guy would always say, have your people call my people. We'll have lunch next week. And it was the craziest bunch of people I ever had to deal with. I hope the guy's not listening to the show. Uh, <laughs> uh, eventually, we sold them. Problem was, they were wishy-washy. I'd rather have them say no up front. Let's schedule another meeting when I'm there. And if at the end of the meeting we've scheduled the meeting in the first five minutes, and we recognize either way, your side or my side, that there's no fit, let's just both cross it out or hit the delete key in our outlooks. So, you know, it makes so much sense because there's only so many time so much time in a day, there's only so many sales calls that you can make, and there's only so much time that you can present. So by hitting the delete key and moving on to the next guy, the opportunity cost is there instead of an opportunity cost of being lost. Sure, or, or wasting time trying to, attempting to set up a meeting with someone who really doesn't want to meet with you. So we've got to kill that in the first five minutes of the sales call. Exactly. Good. Second item on our list is the, uh, I call it a standard objection, your price is too high. The price of your lighting fixtures is too high, Dave. What would you tell people? Well, is it price or cost? The guy would say, what's the difference? between price and cost. Well, price is a one-time thing. You know, you pay it and, you know, it's $100. But cost is a continual thing. So what does it cost you not to spend enough? Mm-hmm. So one way to look at it, see, you're going to pay a price if you buy a suit. So if you buy the $150 suit and it, you got a really good deal and it looks good three times on you, you know, what did it really cost you if you have to go buy another one versus spending $400 or whatever it is to get a good suit? So price is a relevant thing comparative to what you're selling. There's a price and there's a cost because there's a there's a real saying. And even if you're not, uh, even if you're a buyer, people should more visualize it as what does it cost you not to spend enough? And when you ask the 
the obligating question. The guy says, the price is too high. Okay. Well, are you looking at the price or are you looking at the cost? Try that out and watch the reaction. He'll go, what do you mean? <laughs> the price is too high. Well, no, the price is a one-time thing. What does it cost you not to use the service? You know, Total cost of ownership is the way I've used it. Mm-hmm. Talk about it, and, and, and because there's a cost, of, uh, there, there's a cost of going with the lowest bidder. There's a risk, so, yeah, and there's a reason why. Sure, you can go with Dale Carnegie Training at seventy nine dollars ahead yeah. versus Sandler, which is terribly expensive. But if we but bring, what does it cost you not not to get the best training if you're going to be a professional salesperson? And you know what's interesting? It, it, there are people that don't like to say they're salespeople. Mm-hmm. But we are in the... And people realize this. We are in the highest paid profession. Top salespeople make more than top doctors. Top salespeople make more than top lawyers. Top salespeople can earn more than just about any profession that you want to look at and analyze it. You know, is it easy? No. But going to medical school isn't, isn't easy either. No. But if, if, if you can sell, then you can then you, you put it this way. My point can be made. How many people out there listening have ever tried to hire a good salesperson? Probably everyone, right? Why is it so difficult? Because... When the salesperson comes in on the interview, even the bad ones, they sound like Tom Cruise. First day on the job, they perform like Pee Wee Herman. Mike, in my experience, and we had 110 salespeople, rep firms, which had at least four to five people inside their rep, their rep agencies. So we dealt with a numerous amount of salespeople and hiring Good salespeople would always come up when you would talk to principals of the agencies or or when we would hire regional managers to cover certain uh, geographical parts of the country. The reason it's difficult from my perspective of hiring good salespeople, because every one of them is working. There's no good salespeople not working, Mike. None. (laughs) And that's why it's so hard to hire them. Well, no, they're out there. Uh, A few times in in the... uh, recession that uh, has okay. passed we've had companies go out of business and good salespeople wind up on the streets mm-hmm. lots of times they they wind up as owners of their own company uh and then there are others that are good salespeople. uh their sales compensation plan gets changed their territory gets changed or their product line gets changed sometimes through mergers and acquisitions the good guys they don't quit, even though they're earning less money and they're terribly unhappy. You won't find their resumes on Monster.com. But what you will find, Mike, and you're absolutely right. And you 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 will find that if they bought their own Sandler President's Club lifetime, they're talking to me. They're picking up the phone twice a week and saying, Mike, who do you know is looking for a good guy like me in computer engineering software or whatever? Uh, and, but, and the other side. Because but, but to your point, usually if you're inside an industry, plumbing, lighting, 
computers, any industry, and someone hears that Joe just got let go or Joe is dissatisfied, once that gets usually out on the street, someone from a competitor usually tries to hire them if they're good because those are the guys. Joe's been taking all our business. Joe has all these accounts. So As long as there's no non-compete agreement, right. that, that's perfectly legitimate. We've, right. we've had that happen several times. Uh, uh, we're going to take a break in a moment. If you want to call in and uh, ask Dave or I a question about a stall or objection that you've heard from a prospect that's really gotten you irritated, the number is 646-595-4916. Uh, I was uh, talking to a, a CEO about good salespeople. He says to me, gee, I fired one about two weeks ago. I'm still looking for his replacement. He wasn't performing. And then one of his uh, B players, mediocre players, Sandler would call him an at leaster, at least he showed up at work every day, uh, turns in his resignation. So now the guy's down two salespeople. And because he's not a trained Sandler sales manager, there's a high likelihood, over 85%, He's going to hire more at leasters. Uh, let's take a, a, a short break, and we'll be back in a, in a couple of minutes. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys. If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting. 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth with Sandler Training. Finding power and reinforcement. Are you tired of prospects saying, I want to think it over? Are you tired of being an unpaid consultant? Call me at 513-646-6523. On the web at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth and Dave Bellows. We're back. We're going to talk about our next stall or objection, the one I love the most. How, how about, Mike, when they call or when, when the prospect says, why don't you just send me some literature? People hear that a lot. And let me go uh, close to the way I would answer that in 1985, 1986. In fact, I had a belief in those years that good sales, the road to good sales was paved with vendor-supplied literature. If you didn't supply me as a, as a reseller of your product literature, I wasn't going to sell it. And Panasonic wanted to sell me their literature. And Sun Moon Star came in one day from Korea, not, not Korea, Taiwan. And they said, we'll give you all the literature you want. Oh, I said, man, I'm selling your phones. <laughs> so people would say, send me some literature. And I would say, how much do you want? <laughs> I got some of everything. Uh, and we had a great literature room. 
Unfortunately, product knowledge doesn't sell, and literature uh, doesn't help the process in most cases. So this is what, what I think you should do, and we're going to go textbook first. We'll take this a couple of times. Okay. Dave? Send me some literature, Mike. Be glad to, Dave. Uh, how large is your office? Mm, no, it's fair, fairly large. Why do you ask? Uh, fairly large means? No, it's uh, 12 by 12. Oh, we've got a problem. Hmm. I keep uh, two 48-foot semi-tractor trailer trucks loaded with all of our literature out at our, our office. Oh, Mike. It's a double, you know, so it's 48-foot long twice. It's 8-foot wide, 10-foot high. Doesn't sound like it's going to fit. They... Maybe you should ask me over to your place. We'll sit down and talk for a few minutes. And after we've talked, I go back to our place, find exactly the right piece for you, and that's the one you want to read. Fair? It sounds fair. Open up your calendar. What day or time you look at it. Perfect. Absolutely perfect, Mike. Um, send me some literature prior to seeing if you're interested is probably people give up too easy because they don't sell the appointment. That's the real time to sell the appointment. Would you agree? Well, I no longer use the A word. Uh, we only, I only go out when people invite me in or B, they can come out to visit me and I'll invite them in. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to be treated royally. So I'll go on an invitation and I have to put that word in some people's mouth. I said, I'll say, when would you like to invite me in? I don't want an appointment like a life insurance guy that begged for an appointment and the prospect's guard is up. I'd rather be treated royally. Wouldn't you, Dave? Makes sense, Mike. It makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But but how do you get around today? What do you suggest? Today, today is a little bit different. With we the web. Absolutely. I think that... Um, I don't know which one of my web developer clients said uh, a web page or a good web page, a good website is your electronic brochure. Now, this is a great dirty trick because you can say to a prospect, look, it sounds like you want some detailed information on my product line. Is that fair? Fair. Good. You're in front of a computer now, Dave? Yes. Good. I'd like you to go to... Uh, RothConsulting.net. Take a look at the home page. Now, tell me exactly what you want to see, and I'll tell you what button to click. And I'll take you through the web page. Is that fair? Absolutely. After we go through the web page together, it'll take 10 or 15 minutes, you'll have a pretty good idea in your head that, A, this guy doesn't have what I want, or, B, it would make sense for you to invite me in. Fair? Absolutely. Type in RothConsulting.net. Perfect, because the web, it can be a sales enhancer today if it's used properly. It can garner the invitations. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some companies uh, today that are reducing headcount or have a zero headcount in sales because they can, in fact, sell their product over the web. A, because it's uh, a simple commodity and everyone understands what it is. Or B, um it's got an extremely low price, and you're offering a monthly subscription for eight dollars, 
uh, if people don't buy it on the web, ain't going to put a staff a a telephone call center to sell an $8 product. doesn't make any sense. Uh, There's a certain carpet cleaning company that uh, when they advertise on television, they only spend $25 million a year. Uh, The $99 carpet cleaning for three rooms, uh, what they really mean is you're going to talk to the telemarketing center and they're going to upsell you to $179 for sprays, coatings, and extras, whether it's uh, duct cleaning or Teflon spray on your carpet, because they can't make money at $99. And they might even consider when the technician comes to clean the carpets that they close for an annual visit. Oh, an annual service visit, sure. If any of the stains magically reappear... We will be out, and that's an extra $21. Uh, The smile on your face, it sounds like your wife bought that contract. It just makes sense because when you're inside the person's home, it's a a privilege, and to get inside is not easy anymore. People people work, opening up the house for carpet cleaning. It's a lot of juggling on... on, on, uh, to get to get someone in, inside the house. So when you're there and you have a service and you can add on anything, it only adds to, to the flavor of the sale. Let's, uh, let, let's deal with that. Uh, send me some literature one more time. Ask it again, Dave. Good. Mike, do you mind sending me some uh, some of your product literature? Mm. Dave, is it okay if I tell you what I hear when people ask me for literature? Sure. What I hear is the prospect you saying, uh, does this person I'm talking to really have something I need or want? Can the product really help me? Um, And anyway, I don't really want to waste a lot of time with a salesperson. The need isn't that pressing. None of those are are your situation. Are they, Dave? Absolutely. (laughs) Which one of those is the real concern? Excellent. Excellent. Uh, now, that how, how large is your office over the years uh, transitioned? And today, I would say, ask me how, send me some literature, Mike. Mike, do you mind sending me some literature? I'd like be, to review it. Good, good. Be glad to, Dave. What color is your office? It's blue. Blue. I find that most people have a blue office. They're looking for a nice contrasting shade of literature to sit, sit on their coffee table or credenza so that their office is enhanced by the literature sitting there. Or B, they're seriously uh, considering using a product like ours. Uh, should I just send you the contrasting blue literature or are you seriously considering using our product? What a nice way of weeding it out, Mike. And that's basically what has to be done today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we have time in this segment for, for one more. Uh, this, was, this was one of my favorite, favorite things when I was a President's Club member in California. Which one was that, Mike? Uh, they would say to me, Mike, 
Are those telephone systems guaranteed that you're selling? Okay. I was proud of our phone systems. Uh, the uh, Panasonic brand was uh, probably 85% of our total units. Panasonic's uh, United States Distribution Center and Repa Warranty Repair Center was in Catella, California, which was about a 25-minute drive from my office. And so when someone said, is it guaranteed? I said, guaranteed parts and labor for a year. And if we can't fix it, we'll take it down to Panasonic and in three hours, turn it around and bring it right back as a working phone. Guess how many systems that, that guarantee sold? How many? None. But it was a great guarantee. I was proud of it. Uh, it didn't work. Any particular reason why? Everyone else said the same thing in my marketplace. Mm -hmm. You know, if there were 50 Panasonic dealers, they could all say the same thing. And some would be shorter than 25 minutes to get to the repair center. Some would be longer. Well, was it possible that you could close on the warranty, though? So how would you do it, Dave? Is it guaranteed, Dave? Of course, we have a standard warranty. Are you concerned with the warranty because you're interested in the product, or is there something else prior to talking about the warranty that we should talk about? Because we have a standard manufacturer warranty. Which is? One year, parts and labor. That put me exactly in the problem. So exactly. we changed in 1988. And? And after 1988, ask me, is it guaranteed? Is it guaranteed? Gee, Dave, that's a great question. Is it guaranteed? You must be asking me that for a reason. Excellent, Mike. You must be asking me that for a reason. Gee, what does that do to the prospect, Mike? It forces them to keep talking. So is it guaranteed, Mike? That's a great question, Dave. You must be asking me that for a reason. Very powerful. Mm -hmm. Extremely powerful. Extremely powerful, Mike. And there was a turn on that. Whatever the prospect said next, and you must be telling me that for a reason, Dave, and you would say? Yes, Mike, I am. I'm concerned about, because it's a high heat environment, will, will it hold up? Oh, so it's heat. You haven't had a problem with a telephone system in the past, have you, Dave? No, Mike, I haven't. But none of the electronic computer components or other electronic devices in your facility have failed. Absolutely. So it's questions, questions, questions. Absolutely have failed. You couldn't care to tell me more about that. And now where are we, Dave? Here's where we are. One, we found out that he has a high heat environment, so we want to hit on the products, features, and benefits to take that off the table. Two, we found out that he has some failures. So he wants to be concerned. If he's going to buy a new system, he doesn't want to make the same decision twice wrong, if he did make that decision. So when someone asks a question or when we ask a question like, uh, what's the warranty? Let me ask you a question. What's the mo what are you concerned about when, you, when, you, when you're buying a warranty? What are you really looking at? Questions, questions, questions. Because if, if we ask the right questions... We'll get, we'll get, we'll invoke the right responses. Right. And henceforth, we'll get a sale. Great. We're going to take another short commercial break. 
And again, if you want to ask Dave or me a question, the number is 646-595-4916. This is Mike Roth and uh, Dave Bellows. We're back here. We're talking about handling stalls and objections for, from prospects. Uh, and I know that probably doesn't happen to anyone out in our audience. So, Dave, I want to handle handle one here that uh, we get a lot. I already have a supplier for lighting. What kind of things did you say when you were over at uh, Tyrone Lighting? You know, just about in any industry that you, you work in, people will say that, you know, that it could be a personal friend. There's a lot, you know, obviously they're in business, so they do have a supplier. So you have to treat that as a realistic a realistic stall because if it's a personal friend, you have to look at it from a different vantage point. If it if it's a price relationship, you know, a supplier because it's a price and he's proud that he's getting a good price, you have to look at it from that statement. A good response to that is what we would what we would say because we would we would be selling a return on investment type situation in our lighting and we would say, Oh, are you making a decision never to look at another lighting system again? that could help produce a better return on investment for your facility. Oh, no, I'd love to, to have a better return on investment. You would? Mm. Any particular reason why you would? Cons- consider getting more, saving more electricity for the kilowatts that you consume. Wow. Do you have fixtures that can do that? That's one way to handle it, by asking. You can also say, no one's perfect. Is your present supplier is there one thing he can be doing better? And what would that be? Delivery. I mean, this guy's deliveries are always late. You know, we'll order 50 units. We get 23. Shortages. We have to stop production because we don't have enough fixtures. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just not about lighting because, you know, it's it could be that, you know, you got 100 customers, 99 of them love you. It's that one time that that supplier he didn't ship on time or he didn't do he didn't do something he can do more harm than the ninety nine that love you love you so by asking the question like look you probably really enjoy a great relationship with supplier if there was one thing on the report card that he could do better what would it be mm, I told you you know it, it's delivery. a delivery quality quality. Service, you know, when better order fill. Better, what is better order fill? Filling ten out of twelve items. On, on oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Back orders that kills us. When we order an assortment of fixtures, we need everything we ordered. We, we, we don't. We're a just-in-time inventory manufacturer, and we need everything we ordered today to run down our production line fifteen minutes from now. We can't wait a day or two. It's got to be here today. So what he's saying is that his supplier might be a price relationship, but because when people just sell on price, they can't really stock the inventories because their margins may not be as good. So he's not getting a good order fill. What a nice problem to solve. Now, uh, and I'm just looking at the clock here, Dave. I want to make sure everyone gets the feel for what we're doing. Who is actually handling the stall or the objection that the prospect is bringing it, the salesperson. Is it the salesperson or the prospect? Well, 
just remember the prospect went to the same. A, a lot of them go to the same same sales training schools that we go to to be, be to be great prospects. Okay. Well, <laughs> with the minor exception, you know that, that's an interesting interesting scenario that you brought up because that really happened to me this week. I uh, I go in to see a prospect, and he says, "Sandler training, that's great." I said, have you ever had any Sandler training? He said, no, but a CEO friend of mine loaned me some tapes, loaned me a book. I read it. It's great. It's right here in my manual. You know what I said to him next? What did you say? That's interesting. Why would you even need a strong selling system? Interesting. Why would you want Sandler? Let's get right down to brass tacks. Why don't you tell me what your pain is? Then tell me what your budget is for sales training. Then tell me how you go about making a decision to move forward here. And he pounds on the desk and says, I can make that decision. But the the real the real issue here is the difference between what we're doing here and traditional selling was in traditional selling, a salesperson works real hard to beat stalls and objections. What we teach our people here in Sandler is that the prospect's got to handle them. Then the prospect owns the solution. Exactly. You know, another good, that's I know the, our time's running short. That's the, another good objection is. Um, you mean you never changed suppliers before? No, oh, that's that. Uh, I already have a supplier. That and your, That's your answer to it, yeah. Exactly. Uh, you've never changed suppliers before. Oh, yeah, of course we've changed suppliers. Why did you change? Well, the guys we had before, uh, they changed their logo. I like the old logo. Mm-hmm. Questions, 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 Mike. Questions, yeah. questions reverses to find the prospect's true psychological pain. We call it true emotional pain. Let's get down to the impact out of the bottom of the pain funnels. Uh, Dave, how did you already how did you handle a prospect who said, "I'm uh, I'm not ready. Uh, we're going to have to delay this decision three months." Mm-hmm. They all push back. Mm-hmm. Well, again. What we talked about in the first of the program, we should never be at the in a closing situation and get that invoke that response. If 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 we're there, if we've done all our homework right and we present it right, we should never be put ourselves in that position. Mm-hmm. But if you if you do find yourself there, and the prospect says, "Dave, it all sounds good. Your price is right. We love what you got." But we're just not ready to buy today. We're going to be ready in 90 days. Call me in 90 days, and then we'll be ready to proceed. Mm-hmm. Any particular reason why in 90 days that you'll be ready ready to proceed in 90 days versus doing something now and not taking and taking advantage of the product 90 days from now? Uh, yeah. Well, we have a a new product launch coming up. We have a trade show, uh, and we're not going to be uh, using any of your product for about 90 days. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make any sense for us to, to warehouse it. Mm-hmm. Well, of course. Why would you? 
I, I, I mean, why would you? What are you really saying to me, Mike? We're a lean manufacturer. Mm-hmm. You know, when we, when we make our uh, electrical uh, meters, we want to order in the supplies, run them down the production line ASAP. We don't want to have a warehouse full of components that we have to... Uh, Is there any other reason other than you don't want the product in your warehouse for 90 days why you wouldn't be uh, taking advantage of our services? Well, you'd be expecting me to pay for the product before I can use it in production, and therefore um, it's going to negatively affect our cash flow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything other than having to pay for the product? Oh, no, your product is perfect. So exactly in, what we need. So in listening to you, if I'm hearing you correctly, that if we could work out some terms where you didn't have to pay for the product until after your trade shows, until after your your other merchandise is used, and you knew it would hit your doors so you can adhere to your lean manufacturing technologies, would you want to take advantage of of the proposition today? Sure. If I could get the product in, in the warehouse so we had it when we needed it, but we didn't have to pay you until after we used it, we're there. You know, Mike, let me apologize. I should have told you that we do have that type of program a long time ago. I'm sorry I didn't. So with that in mind, there shouldn't be a problem. Should we proceed? Why not? Perfect. Find out in handling the stall an objection. What's hidden below the surface? Because that's where the pain is. In that example, the pain was putting the cash out before we put the product to work. And then close on the pain. Close on the pain. That's the medicine. If your company can take advantage of giving dating, that's what he was looking for. That's one way of putting it, dating. Could have factored the invoices, terms. There there are a lot of different names for that. We've left a lot of different solutions. The problem is it's a prospect's issue. It's not a supplier issue. Stalls and objections are the realm of the prospect to solve. If as the vendor you solve them, only turn around and bite you in the rear end. Uh, Here at Sandler Training, we give you the tools to make the solutions work for you. The issues of stalls and objections come up time and time again. If this show made any sense for you and you want to talk to me, send me an email. We'll talk about your real-world sales problems privately. I'll invite you in. Uh, Dave, thanks for coming. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the extended. Good. Dave, I'm going to turn the show over to Scott, and thanks for coming in again. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.